When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. Will you shut up, man? Hello and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Caitlin Bird. And we're here. It's January 6th, one day after January 5th. And I think we flipped the Senate. We were just talking before this about how confident we are, but we're both feeling very excited. Well, it looks like 2021 is going to be not 2020, which I think is the most I can ask from any given year at this point. That's that's true. That's accurate. I mean, it's first six days so far. So far, impressed. I'll give it another week. I'll let it, I'll let it keep going. So let's catch up. We record this podcast at noon most days, including today. And as of noon on Wednesday, Democrats are poised to take control of the Senate following the... I haven't said this out loud yet. It's so weird. (laughs) As of Wednesday morning, Democrats are poised to take control of the Senate following the confirmed victory of the Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff's likely triumph over David Perdue. Multiple outlets, including the AP, had projected Kelly Leffler's defeat. We're still waiting for calls on Ossoff's race, but he currently leads by about 16,000 votes, which is worth noting because that's much more than Biden won the state by, given the numbers that we're seeing. This all happened really fast, faster than I anticipated. I think most people did. Within an hour of polls closing in Georgia, it seemed like a lot of election day votes had been counted. And given their reliance on in-person voting, it became clear rather quickly that Republicans had pretty much exhausted their opportunities to pick up votes by pretty early in the night. Like very early. Like it probably wasn't dark in California yet and it looked over. So by then, we knew that in Democratic strongholds, voters were also coming out even stronger for Warnock and Ossoff than they did for Joe Biden. Unlike the presidential race, these anticipated victories sure look like they're out of recount territory. So we're just waiting on that Ossoff race to be called this morning. Uh, John Ossoff basically declared victory, said, you know, we, we feel confident. And uh, this morning, early this morning, Warnock also did the same, which also felt a little bit more... Um, rewarding because he's he's actually won. So we're we're still waiting a little bit, but are you surprised? Oh, surprises. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um like the the word for it is kind of um like pleasantly optimistic. Like I kind of had held it in like okay, for Caitlin, I have to say that only you would have to add another positive modifier to optimistic because like you usually say like, we always say like cautiously optimistic. So we have to clarify 
when we mean pleasantly. <laughs> like usually you just mean optimistic. <laughs> yeah. N- like yeah, you just be like an optimist. Uh, me, I'm, I'm cynically optimistic most of the time. So you have to clarify that this is real genuine optimism. I'm genuinely hopeful for the first time in a while. I think like from my perspective, four years ago, I had I had had this deep belief that something had gone really horribly wrong with the country, that like our electoral systems had at this point stopped representing anything close to popular sovereignty, that like representative government itself was kind of dissolving. And like, as far as I'm concerned last night was, was uh, an assertion that like, we're still in control of this to some level, which is, uh, such a reassuring thing from like literally metaphorically alphabetically like all the all the way all, every adverb you can think of that's that's valuable like that's it's all been reaffirmed by the fact that democrats took uh, a very very narrow lead in the senate you know it's gonna be a 50 50 split for the longest time i think in the senate's history um or at least since 1887, um, which is like, yeah, it's been a moment. In modern political history, the last time we had um, a split like this was 2001. Um, so, it, and, and then there was like a very kind of like polite um, discussion between Democrats and Republicans because it was Tom Daschle and Trent Lott and this was like a very different set of parties. These are now so polarized. I mean, we have multiple Republican senators saying they're going to challenge the the person who won by eight million ballots. Like it's <laughs> they found eight million fake votes somewhere. Like even if you want to allow that the electoral college is like a meaningful representation of like what the country wants from the presidency, which it is not. Um, Even under that, like, it's not a question. Joe Biden won. But you still have Republican senators offering to do it. So that is, yeah. I'm not super excited about this being, like, a a great healthy time for the Senate. But you know what? Senate sucks anyway, so. Right, right. And we'll get to this a lot more in the show. I'll get to this in future weeks, but just because there's a 50-50 split, I've had a lot of questions like, but how is it a majority if it's only 50, even if you get the vice president's vote? And like you said, Caitlin, in the past when this has happened, they've sort of, the parties have tried to negotiate ways to balance power, which is not a thing that happens anymore. Like I don't really see, in this case, the Democrats are the de facto majority and Chuck Schumer will serve functionally as the majority leader. Um, in this case, the vice president cast the tie breaking vote. Mitch McConnell will lose his power to decide what the Senate votes on. And Chuck Schumer will take the lead there. As we mentioned, this majority means Biden's cabinet can more or less sort through the confirmation process. I mean, I expect to see some opposition, some fair and important opposition to certain elements of his picks, but in terms of Republicans trying to sabotage any that's not likely. It's also going to give Biden a bit more flexibility and who he can appoint to attorney general. I don't know if he was waiting for this. Do you think he was? I mean, maybe. Um, I don't know. Uh, 
Biden's a very cautious person um, and for some inexplicable reason has continued saying that he could find Republicans to negotiate with. I hope that delusion is dead. Um, So maybe that's what he was waiting for, an affirmation that he was going to have a path forward Mm -hmm. um, on on his pick. I think that if he has waited for Georgia um, and the runoff to, to decide, I think that it's a pretty clear message. And if we're going to get into like what messages we got from last night, like it's a pretty clear message that he should choose probably a black person. I would run the attorney general's office and let them off the hook to do whatever the hell they want, because that's, you know, Raphael Warnock won pretty cleanly. John Ossoff won a little bit more narrowly. I think that Warnock, Raphael Warnock is John Ossoff, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> like in terms of when you see the victory, Raphael Warnock did win by a much more comfortable margin. It's looking like, and these two ran as a pair their entire campaign. Um, and that was obviously very smart of both of them. And I think probably pretty fortunate for Ossoff in the end, it probably benefited him quite a bit. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So let's talk about turnout yesterday. So Raphael had barely an anxious moment last night. Earlier turn showed Leffler was nowhere close to the turnout she needed. 
black turnout in Georgia, again, buoyed Democrats to victory. Early exit polls Tuesday revealed that 93% of black voters supported Democratic challengers Ossoff and Warnock. I bet that's even higher today. This saw the highest turnout of a runoff ever and just mirrored these exceptional turnout numbers, specifically in black communities and counties that just drove up these margins even higher than we saw them for Joe Biden. So again, today, Stacey Abrams is getting a lot of praise. I want to talk a little bit more specifically for people that maybe don't know the whole background. What was Stacey Abrams' strategy, not just Stacey Abrams' strategy, but the Georgia strategy of flipping this state and having the radical concept of letting voters choose their representation? What was the strategy here in Georgia in the past 10 years and why, why did it work? Oh, man. Um, I mean... I don't want to. I don't want to like shift focus away from Stacey Abrams and um, her amazing organization uh, with in terms of getting people out there, active uh, activating people, um, going into communities, focusing very deeply on messaging, but involvement. You know, like they there was a lot of person to person building that happened here. There's a lot of face to face work that was put in. There's a lot of ground game. Um, which has always been, you know, except for like Obama, a real weakness for Democrats doing the face-to-face organizing, knocking on doors kind of work has been something that, you know, Democrats have a lot of volunteers, but it has never really been scaled and almost, I don't want to say professionalized because it's still volunteers, but like organized so thoroughly. Um, And we saw that with Barack Obama, which is how, you know, we had states change, right? I mean, he managed to get Indiana for his first, his first election, which is crazy. Like it's, if you try to like explain that to someone now, like, oh, like Barack Obama won Indiana, they'd be like, what? Friggin' Um, won Ohio. (laughs) <laughs> well, Ohio slipped away. I don't Ohio really... usually does vote for the president, right? And then this year they just, they were done. This was actually the first time in Ohio's, in, in our national history since Ohio has become a state where the winning presidential candidate did not win the state of Ohio. Um, it is, it is the first time. Get it together, um, Buckeyes. So something, something went there. I think it stopped being a bellwether to some degree. Um, but I'm firmly against swing states as a concept, national popular vote all the way. Anyway. Yeah, true. The, to, to bring it to Stacey Abrams again, um, the 50-state strategy was something that was developed in the early 2000s by Howard Dean's time at the DNC. And he was DNC head in like 2005, 2006, after his own failure of a presidential campaign, which now turned on something that seems so insanely banal that you would think, wow, how is it possible that Howard Dean got knocked out of a presidential nomination contest for that? Oh my that? God, I know. The um, scream. Yeah, exactly. Like he's, he like raised his voice a little bit and then everyone was like, oh, he's a crazy radical going to, you know, socialize your children. And you're like, what? <laughs> oh, that even, what is that? And, but it worked, I guess. We used to have it in the podcast intro, but then it like wasn't interesting enough. It got phased out <laughs> because wilder shit happened. <laughs> Donald Trump exists and right. is, it has power for the next 14 days over the n- largest nuclear arsenal on the planet. 
unfettered control <laughs> over the nuclear arsenal. It's so it, funny that it's been almost four years, but it's still, it's like every day counts. He's got 14 days ahead of him. It, it only takes one. Is it about a nuclear arsenal? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You don't get three strikes. I mean, you can do three strikes, but... You don't get three strikes. Yeah, you, there's this is a this is a one strike policy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Work. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully we don't have to to think about that ever again uh, two weeks from now. But the 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 truth of the matter is that that Dean put together this effort to organize in every state. You know, basically the idea that every state has Democrats in it and can be organized, and that can help motivate and i think a lot a lot of the time one of the biggest issues right has been the demotivation the how demotivated um black voters have been even though they make up these huge swaths in the american south um and georgia kind of demonstrated that if you go and you organize people you have to you know activating a person who's not political takes a lot of time i mean i'm sure that everyone knows somebody who's like yeah, whatever politics, and they like seem ostensibly to be like a completely functional, rational person who spends t- like they get work done, they has strong opinions standards. on other things. Yeah, exactly. It's always surprising. And then you're, you get them to politics, and they're like, oh, they're all a bunch of crooks or whatever. And you're like, no, no, this is like framing out the entirety of your life actually, yeah. and you're not opinion is creating space for like the worst opinions to take place over yours and to let it control your life. And you're just trying to figure out how to get them motivated. And it does take a lot of work, but it, that work pays off. And it has paid off for, for Stacey Abrams. I, I, people said that, you know, she'd been governor, this wouldn't have happened. I disagree, it would have happened sooner. I think- Yeah, I mean, it did happen in 2018. It just, there are a lot of people that think that she won in 2018. Um, you know, we're we're all about peaceful transitions of power here. But I also think it's interesting that a lot of what we've been talking about for the past year is uh, the, in terms of the democratic future, whether we appeal to the middle or really grow and animate the base and where those things are in tension. And I think we've been talking about that a lot because Joe Biden obviously really stuck, it seems perhaps correctly, to a moderate point of view of healing, of not being divisive, of not going too hard on some of these progressive values and things we want accomplished, where it seems that the Georgia strategy was there are actual Democrats. We know that the way you usually win the presidency is that it's very hard to win with your base alone and you have to bring in other people. And this strategy, especially state by state, seems to focus more on there are Democrats here and there are people that don't know they're Democrats and some of them have big barriers to getting them involved, but a lot of them don't. Um, And I do hope that the establishment and the party takes a very close look at that in the future and is focused just as much on turning out our loyal voters and voters who want to see us pursue these progressive policies as the voters who want to be assured that we won't. Yeah, I, I've said it like a thousand times, yes. but I'm going to say it again because it should be said as often as possible that the Democratic Party represents the entire spectrum of rational politics in this country. There is no rational position that you can take in this country and not be aligned with the Democratic Party. And the problem with that is that, like, that means that we are holding a concert, the last rational bastion of conservatism is inside the party as much as the progressive 
strain of rational thought, a political thought. So you have to balance these two things off against each other because there's no real conservative party. There's just reactionary white supremacists. So if you're not with, with us, you're basically with reactionary white supremacists, which is uh, not great. And, and that means that Democrats have this harsh pull against the sides of it, you know? And I think having that really clear line, like those are reactionary people helped keep the coalition together. So I do worry a little bit about like, what are Democrats going to do if they don't have Donald Trump there? But it's also very clear that people were ready for corruption was a huge issue. You know, uh, I've been saying, I had an old piece that I deleted, but whatever, that was basically like, localize everything. You know, Uh localize, democratic strategy should be to get local. It should be to take issues and stop nationalizing them. Because every time you make things national, you give Republicans the opportunity to be like, they're trying to change the country and your way of life. Instead of saying like, it's about this person doing this thing to your life that you can tangibly see. Yeah then it becomes getting pe- gets people more attached to abstract concepts than their actual literal lives. So I think that that was done really well in Georgia. I think both Warnock and Ossoff were very good at pointing out who their opponents were, the nature of them, and building off of like a sentiment of like, we deserve better. And like, that's gonna, and, and it was more successful than Joe Biden's campaign. Absolutely. To be clear, like Joe Biden's winning of Georgia probably set a floor for what the Senate runoff could do. But the fact that a Senate runoff got more votes, like, oh, the turnout was insane for a runoff. They got, they, they were more successful than Joe Biden was, not just in terms of raw vote total over their opponents, but in terms of turnout percentage in a lot of places. This is I mean, Warnock beat Biden in ev- Biden's numbers in every single county. That is yep. impressive, and that says something very powerful about where the party should go and where Biden himself should possibly lead, which is just believe in your goddamn base. Right. Yeah, I mean, right, please. And this is the candidate who was getting the roughest get attack ads from Leffler down until the final, like the final second. I think also, and Sammy and I talk about this a lot, that the pairing of, of both each side, I think really benefited because Asaf and Warnock were able to, pre- to present themselves as a pair so that people just psychically knew like you're going to, I wonder if that was part of the strategy, like present this almost like a ticket where if you're going for one, you're going to the other and that's, that's all you're going to check both boxes. But the pairing of Purdue and Leffler was also just uniquely villainous because they were both so, it was so easy to explain why? Like if you do encounter somebody that says, oh, they're a bunch of crooks. It's like, no, no, no. These ones are very clearly the crooky ones. These ones very clearly are not. He is Martin Luther King's friend. <laughs> this is John Ossoff, little cutie pie, makes documentary films. Like they are fine. These are the crooks. And that pairing, I think, seemed to drive a lot of success. And I'm wondering, I'm optimistic, but I think about that when I think about replicating this in other states if it will be harder in places where the candidates are not quite so villainous. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, they're pretty bad everywhere. 
Yeah, as I said, Republicans don't represent rational political thought. They represent, again, reactionary white supremacy. And uh, apparently, I don't know, like defending the Proud Boys and QAnon right now. So like, that's their party. And anyone who says that like there's some other version of the party should just uh, ask whether or not those people have stopped in any way the elements that I just talked about. Like, what are they doing to actively stop those elements? Because if you're not doing anything, I hate to tell you this, those people are just active sops and possibly reputation laundering for QAnon and Proud Boy white supremacy. That's, That's where we're at. I mean, yeah. So the question now is like, okay, how do Democrats functionally govern in a space where they have to represent both sides of any argument because their opponents are just like going to fling literal shit at them mm-hmm. possibly like literal feces. right <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely gonna happen today in dc we all dread the what should we have for dinner question i mean i know i do i love a home-cooked meal but i don't always have the time energy or groceries to make it happen being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to home chef over the other guys Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So some big things, I mean, I've been joking on the podcast about how silly we were to discuss packing the court, but seems like those are things that could be under consideration. The filibuster could be under consideration. I mean, we can get cabinet picks through, but um, I think we're going to start hearing a lot more talk about eliminating the filibuster, which can functionally, from my understanding, block legislation because it just takes one senator to say, no, I'm going to talk about this for a while and then 60 to override, right? Yeah, so the filibuster actually is just like a parliamentary procedure in which uh, instead of 
agreeing that you're going to send a vote to the full chamber, any senator can basically say, actually, I think we need a supermajority to send this to the floor. So basically, before you get to the part where you actually vote on a thing or whether or not something makes it to the floor, everyone has to vote on whether or not it will pass by unanimous consent. So basically, you just deny consent for it to go to voting. And that is a little trick that like holds it off the floor. Now, it used to be that you actually had to like actually had to go and create like a whole speech and like stop it from reaching the floor and all that. And I I hate to tell everybody like the dark, dark truth, like, yay, let's celebrate Georgia. Let's celebrate this democratic majority. Let's celebrate having all three major uh, houses of government in terms of like the executive, the house and the Senate. Um, House and Senate are both one branch. All three branches of government, according to Tommy Tuberville. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, but the filibuster, I do not, we we are now trapped in a space where that means the most moderate democratic voice. Remember that we have to hold both sides of every argument there. The least liberal voice in the democratic caucus now has the most power because we need that vote to do anything, anything. So basically, Joe Manchin is running the Senate right now. Chuck Schumer is nominally going to be running the Senate, but he's never shown any ability to keep his caucus in line. So I'm looking forward to that nightmare. Um, Chuck Schumer doesn't win Senate majority leader because he's good at his job. He's not Nancy Pelosi. This is not Nancy Pelosi wins and continues being House Speaker because her job as House Speaker is the actual task of making legislation get through and holding her caucus together. Yes. If she couldn't hold her caucus together or she couldn't whip the votes, she wouldn't be house speaker. It's just that that's how it works. Yeah. She doesn't have like stands in the, like, you know, in the, yeah. If she were not effective at that, people would be willing to, to take another route, but she's a badass and she gets it done. Yeah. And the the thing is, is that no one has her skill to run against her. So the actually, the, the, People are like, you know, nice to ship down. And I understand that. But her her skill as a legislator, I again say she's the best one in American history. People just need to respect that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to replace her, get someone better than her. Because the moment she's gone, that's going to look like a, it's going to look like the Senate. under Trump That's Trump. an excellent point. The second you, yeah, we can't, the second she's out, the first mistake of the new person, it's like, all right then we're just downhill and they can. You don't keep your caucus together. Like she's amazing at whipping votes. She knows exactly how to leverage each person. She manages to keep a wildly ideologically diverse caucus voting on the same things. And she knows exactly how many votes she can afford to lose. Chuck Schumer, on the other hand, got elected Senate majority leader because he's good at fundraising. Overwhelmingly. (laughs) That's, I mean, like we can like tiptoe around that, but the truth is he knows a lot of money. He's responsible for a lot of money. And he's Senate Majority Leader, not because he has actually any skill at leading a caucus, whipping votes, or keeping anyone in line. He's done it because he's got a lot of money, and he's the person that you vote for if you want to make sure your fundraising numbers are good. And because he has no actual skill, and don't get me wrong, I grew up with Chuck Schumer. Uh, he, he, uh, my dad worked with him. 
and he's a community activist. Like I knew his, we, I went to the same school as his kids. Like I'm not attacking Chuck Schumer as a person. He's a fine person. Really delightful he's person. Like really, really pleasant actually in person a lot. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, is that like, he's not a particularly effective Senate majority leader. Um, so I'm not looking forward to that. Um, and that means Joe Manchin basically is going to be running circles around Chuck Schumer because what is Chuck going to offer him? I mean, money? He doesn't need to worry about that. It's West Virginia. Yeah. We're more worried about losing Joe Manchin than Joe Manchin is about losing Democratic support. He's mm-hmm. basically, ne- he could like honestly like <laughs> do whatever he wants and Democrats are going to need to support him because the Republican alternative, again, is a psychopath. That's right. just how and we're that talking works. about, if you don't know, Joe Manchin represents West Virginia, where when he vacates that seat, whenever that is, probably when he dies, it will be very, I can't, very difficult, I would suspect, to fill it with another Democrat. So he has incredible power. Like, that's the thing. When you're in the minority, you get away with, you forget that Joe Manchin is basically a Republican because he doesn't really have to talk about it that much because the votes never come. So he's not like, you know, he says with the checks what his issues are, but this is the problem with the filibuster is that it gives either side an excuse not to actually fully commit to their legislation and then seeing what the impact would be and then taking responsibility for the impact because you just say like, well, they've been stonewalling. What are we supposed to do? Well, now Democrats, we have all the power and we don't have all the power. We have the smallest amount of power we could possibly have to have any, but we're, we're on a, we're on a path. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that I don't see the filibuster getting eliminated as much as that would be great. I see, however, possibly a rule change that makes it very painful to institute, maybe it requires more senators instead of one. It gives you the option to vote on whether or not to filibuster it. And that's a simple majority. Right. Then right. maybe maybe it's like, okay, I've offered this thing for a hold. And then it's like, okay, well, majority gets to say whether or not that hold can stand. If you don't get 50 five votes, you don't get it through. But that puts a lot more pressure than on those last limit of senators because now you've got a handful at the margins who might have to have to make that decision. So they, I see filibuster reform more likely. Mm-hmm. I don't right. see any chance of packing the courts. Joe Manchin has been firmly against that. Joe Biden hasn't been particularly clear on that either. And the, the space in, in the Senate is not there. Um, I think there's probably more chance that you see the government oversight committee go hard on possibly anything that went wrong with the nominating processes or anything like that, or the Trump administration's nominations or, or any corruption inside the now soon to be passed Trump administration. There, there's, got a, there's a great house oversight committee uh, queued up uh, and I'm looking forward to yes. it's, it's going to be AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Katie Porter, and Cory Bush, and Cory Bush, and they are going to be leading the the House Government Oversight Committee. So I am. Super I saw that, and I was like, "This is my content. Is. This is my 2021 content." Thank yeah. you, Nancy. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that is our show today. Very exciting one. Not as exciting as the show I expected to be doing today. Uh, Very exciting day. Until the end of democracy. I mean, that might be far away. Seems like we saved it. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betchessup Podcast. 
this is Amanda popping back in. At the end of this podcast, it was reported that Merrick Garland is the likely pick for Joe Biden's attorney general. In this episode, we discussed some other picks, and we will discuss this in depth in tomorrow's podcast when it's confirmed. Betches.